have a really cool history story here for you today. I teased it a couple weeks ago by saying this is unearthing a prancing horse. And some of you may know the story. About... I, I suspect that I do. Right. You may know the baseline story, I'll say, but I dug a little deeper. So this is the story of a Ferrari that was found buried. All right. Well, I'm curious to hear all about that. Yes. Um, we also have some news coming up, and we're going to get into a couple of personal stories. But before I do that, I want to re- uh, remind everybody yep. and recommend. I was going to say recommend. Remind everybody recommend. to head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. You can support us. $5 a month gets you a T-shirt. $10 a month gets you a T-shirt and a print. And it's important for you guys to support those that do things you like, whether it's us or anybody else or anything, is, is support those who create things you like. In that case, in this case, it happens to be us. And uh, also spread the word. If you like this podcast, your friends will too. Don't Absolutely. Be, don't be selfish. Don't just keep this <laughs> podcast all to yourself. You know, spread the word. Right. We really, really love that about you it's guys. It's not a finite source, it turns out. You can spread it and yes. it doesn't get worse. <laughs> yes. It might actually get better the more you spread it. Just like the economy. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, well, I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Anyway. All right, what do we got? Um, well, what's new with me? I had to bring the Audi, the RS4, RS4, as we call it, into <laughs> the dealer for a recall on the airbag that Is I've there, been putting off. I wonder if there's any cars that have escaped the Takata airbag recall. I don't think so. There wouldn't be many. But that came out years ago, and I've just been putting it off right. for some reason. Well, if you would have signed up, you probably still would have had to have waited quite True. some time. They didn't have it in stock, right? Uh, I don't know if they did. They didn't. I made an appointment. And they were ready for me. Oh, okay. Supposedly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's so, nice foreshadowing. Yeah, I, I brought the car in. I had an appointment. Dropped off on the in the morning on my way to work. And I was like, Hey, I need a ride to the office. So they gave me a ride there. Cool. And they were like, uh, Yeah, it shouldn't take too long. It's just a quick airbag swap. And we'll come get you or we'll give you a the, call. Is this the steering wheel airbag? No, it's a driver or the uh, passenger side airbag. Oh, how Apparently, they... the driver's side wasn't affected. Okay, so is it molded into the dash? Yes. Okay, so, so how I... is that a quick anything? Because I don't think they have to touch the dash. I think they remove the glove box and go up underneath oh, and yeah, just get yeah, like yeah. the housing and stuff out. Okay, of it. yeah, that makes more sense. Because I also, when I got in the car, I like roll, rolled my hand over the dash. I was like, if I find like a square slit, slit mark here, <laughs> I'm going to lose my Well, dish. what sucks is the older cars that ended up sitting in the sun, all of a sudden you can see like the outline of where yeah. the airbag is like made to come through right. in case of an accident where it blasts through there. Right. And you can see it. So, so I didn't notice any of that. But before I even got back to the car, so... They were like, it's only a couple hours. You're scheduled for 10 a.m. We'll give you a call then to see if you want us to pick you up and pick up the car right away or wait. It's like, that's cool. Waiting, waiting. Four o'clock comes around. I call them. Hey, uh, what's the status on this? Haven't heard anything. What? Well, you have a car here? Is I, That's what yeah, I, that's my guess. Yeah. So I forget her name. Megan Mer- Morgan. Uh, anyway, she's like, oh, let me check on that. Yeah, we have a lot of cars that still haven't made it into service yet. It's 4 p.m. Don't they only have like an hour left in the day for their techs? At least, yeah. So they're like, oh, you know what? They might be open late. Sometimes the techs are there later than the sales staff is. So she's like, oh, you know what? Yours is actually just going in, so it should be done by 5. I was like, okay, cool. Why don't you pick me up then anytime in the next hour so I can be there when it's ready and I don't have to sit around? Okay. She's like, cool. I'll get our driver to come pick you up, and he'll give you a call when he's there. Cool waiting 40 minutes go by and i'm like well i'm not in a rush to get it yet because i'm still finishing up my work day and whatnot and so at 4 40 i call i was like hey so about that ride she's like you must have been reading my mind i was just about to call him 
I was like, but, but you I said you, were- said you said you were gonna have him pick me up. Okay. Oh yeah. So then another. Are you 20, irritated yet at 30, this point? At this point, I'm very irritated. Yep. Okay. Another 30 minutes go by. I don't hear anything. I call her again. She's, and it's funny because I've talked to the receptionist, you know, that like directs your call so many times through this because I keep calling the receptionist. She's like, oh, hi, Jake. Yeah. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I call the other. She's like, oh, let me try to get a hold of the driver. I don't know. Finally, it was like an hour and a half after I was supposed to have a ride. They picked me up. They brought me there. And what like that experience was frustrating but whatever it wasn't right i don't know whose fault it was i told the guy about it i was like just let you know i'm very frustrated this, that this, this happened he's like oh i'm sorry i don't know what the deal is so far i'm waiting for some sort of nuclear bomb to go off because so far this story isn't very angering i guess i should say i don't know that i would be that frustrated yet. really i yeah. was pissed about it there really is no nuclear bomb other than the sense that also the whole time the driver as he's driving me back was just an idiot and he's like, they're excited about cars because they work at a car dealership. Right. But they don't know anything about cars. Like, oh, so what car do you have in for service? Well, oh, he's just a, trying. Jake, I, he's just I trying know to. know. I was frustrated. I'm getting frustrated again. Right now? Yes. Because I don't. <laughs> because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not enabling share you. Share my frustrations. I don't I feel know. Like you would be the person that wouldn't have any like. So I was at the point where I was like, well, I should just call up Uber, drive myself over there and then give them the Uber bill. Well, I would have probably just paid for my own Uber thing and just went over there. I wouldn't I would maybe if you drive an RS4, <laughs> you expect to be ferried around and carted around. I well, just would have been like, oh, I, service. Like why how far away? It's like not far from your no, work. No, it's not too far. I just would have taken an Uber over there and just been like, "Hey, I'm here to pick up my car." Yeah. I I don't I try not to rely on others that's, too much. That's the problem. I don't rely on others very often, and so when I had to, it was very frustrating. Yeah, I don't like doing that cuz it's you're almost setting yourself up for some sort of situation. Right. You know, and but that said, strangely enough, that would be a, a situation where I would be quite patient. Why? I don't know. It just doesn't you, it doesn't bother me that it, it, I also probably would have called more times throughout the day. I doubt I would have waited till 10 to four and been like, oh, by the way, where's my car? True. When around two o'clock, it's getting to be pretty obvious that yeah. something isn't going on, especially for something that simple or even around noon or my lunch break. I would have been like, hey, how's it going? You know, I just you're right with these companies. It feels like sometimes you have to, like, hold their hand. Why? Through it the, shouldn't be that way. That's just how it is. That's just how it is. And it's the same way with the Volkswagen dealership. And it's the same way with and you just have to like hold their hand. But here's the thing is I know for a fact some of my friends that own shops, if you try to do that with them with like private shops, yeah. they get pissed and they probably are gonna take longer because they don't need their hand held. But it seems like the dealership is just always needs to just have this prodding that needs to be I know. done. It's the squeaky wheel, I guess, gets the service, which is so stupid. And since I'm on a rant about things that I'm this upset is, about... This, this is, is a 4 out of 10 rant so far. Maybe a 3 out of 10. Okay, well, they're not a, like big rants. Okay. They're just small upsetting things. Okay. <laughs> this is my peg hook pet peeve. Okay, what's wrong with peg hooks? Every time you reach for the tool, the peg hook pops off. That oh, is the, the stupidest... The, the, the brown thing with all the, the pegboard? That's a pegboard. And why, then you have the peg hooks. Why would you use that anyway? What do you use? A toolbox. Yeah. Don't you want tools hanging up for easy access? All I have to do is open a drawer and pick it up with I my hand. I have drawers as well, but I like my wrenches displayed out in front of me. Why? In ascending order. Apparently you don't standard. like it. Well, I like it, but I don't like when I reach for one and the peg hook goes ting, 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 ting. 
I don't know, man. Just use a toolbox like everybody else. Okay. The, the, the peg hook thing seems like that's in a garage where people don't actually work on their cars, <laughs> in, in my opinion. So I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I can't feel you on that one either. Okay. For me, you are just like not stepping up to commiserate with me. Today. I'm sorry. I don't I don't believe in your ranting today. Okay. Um, so in my toolbox, what I have is I have wrenches that I use a lot. Mm-hmm. I have a little piece of blue tape around them. Okay. And it is a pile of wrenches in there because I'm in and out of there so much that every once in a while I'll Wouldn't get them all Wouldn't it be nice up. if they were organized so you could easily find them? I have a blue piece of tape on it. So then just, you pick oh, up, yeah, that's you pick up all five ones that have blue pieces of tape and figure it out? I've picked up a 17 millimeter wrench enough time that I can open that drawer and go, there it is. Because I can look at the size of it and know that's a 17 millimeter okay. wrench. I'm not saying it's a giant clusterfuck of wrenches <laughs> in there, but I don't need to have them all displayed out like some sort of... Uh, like they're for sale or something. I don't. I, I don't. I don't need to do any merchandising of that. your yeah. tools. Yeah. So I don't right. need to do any of that. Um, what else you got going on? Me nothing. I uh, nothing. Okay. I ordered a turbo, and I'm supposed to give you your muffler because you bought my muffler. Yeah, so I'm I getting a new bumper and a muffler. Yeah. Well, the bumper's here. It's out in the car. It's your nice. it's your RSR RS style bumper for the right. narrow body car, and uh, I've got a turbo on the way. That's about it. That's I haven't done anything else. It's the car's going away at the body shop. I keep saying that, but it actually is now. So this week it'll be going away, and then it's going to be working on snowmobiles time. So that's that's all that's going on. With they me. can be frustrating as well. Yeah. So speaking of frustrating, did you want to rant about headlights? Okay. So I've been looking at. <laughs> so apparently that's a yes. So this is. Uh, we'll see if this is a more worthy rant. Okay. I'm trying not to touch the desk because I've got Christmas wrapping paper all over it, and it crinkles, and it's crinkly. Yep. So I'm trying not to do that. Hey. We- should we tease when are we having the big vote off? The, vote, our... the vote's going to be next time we record, so next week. Okay, so we'll, next week we have our Christmas festivities. So we're going to post on Instagram. We'll have a poll that you'll be able to go through and select that Chris is awesome or Jake is marginally above average. That'll be the. <laughs> those are the two options. <laughs> those are the two options. Great. <laughs> Either you win or I lose. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. So I've been um, thinking about this for a while, and I thought I kind of talked about this a little bit already, but I'm getting really really tired of seeing the projector hid headlights uh-huh. in older cars right and i don't understand why people are doing it because they're they don't look right it's they're, actually illegal because if you don't have the projector housing the beam pattern isn't correct right you don't have a beam cutoff and it's actually illegal. well they're buying an entire headlight assembly oh okay. so yeah i thought you just meant like the retrofit kits where you get the hid and put it in your old housing no, no. I'm okay. talking about the, the entire headlight that you can buy aftermarket. Yeah, a lot I of gotcha. people do it. They and do they it on look, things like Jeeps. Okay. They do it on Jeeps. They do yeah. it on, a, on the 911 is one that really gets on my nerves. Yep. They do it I on old Volkswagen buses and stuff like that. And it, it's got the projector in it. And then it's got the little like driving light thing underneath yeah, that looks LEDs like the, the E30 smiley thing is right. what these headlights kind of yep, look like. I know what you're talking about and, now. But the, the thing is, is on like an E30 that has the what's called the smiley. It's a projector bulb. It's still fluted. So you can't see right through it necessarily sure. to the projector it's they're not hids back then right they're just they're halogens, halogens with yep. the with the lens or whatever but the new ones are hids and they're perfectly clear because right. they've because it's the cool factor so you can see the projector and here's what here's what needs to happen no more <laughs> it, no please stop doing this if you're one of the people that is doing this know that you should not be doing this you're basically contributing to the cancer of the way that your car looks so and i'm guessing if you did these headlights you've probably done other questionable things um this seems i i was actually thinking about this i thought this would okay. actually be something that you would do 
It seems like something I you would do. I don't dislike it as much as you do. It, it seems like it would go really well with like your Rensport battery relocation <laughs> kit. Or uh, Renline, sorry. Yes. Um, what about Singer? Singer does this. I don't like it. I don't like the way that it looks. Even done, it's it doesn't done look well. Without the fluting, it yeah. doesn't look right. It just looks like a little dot in the middle of the headlight. And here's, the, here's what you should be doing with your old car. Okay. You should be getting a relay kit mm-hmm. and putting a high wattage, if the housing can handle it because they get hot. Right. But I, I nine eleven can. I've got one hundred thirty watt high beams, hundred watt low beams, and both sides run on a relay. And now what you're doing is normally the all the wiring goes from your fuse box all the way up to your your uh, steering your column switch, and, yep. your, and your and uh, the, your light switch mm-hmm. and the toggle switch for your high beams. Right. All the wiring comes all the way up from the fuse box and goes all the way back out to the headlights. Yep. So you've got a lot of um, small gauge wire there that gets hot when you run the two the too small of uh, diameter wire so that right. the wiring gets warm. You can actually physically touch it and feel it. It gets really, really hot. So what you do instead, and plus you lose power doing right. this. You know, with the, with, with the resistance in the wires, it gets hot, blah, blah, blah. I'm probably going to have electrical engineers say, no, that's not right. But anyway, so what you do with this, it's called an X-Relay. And basically what it does is instead of having, um, when you turn your headlights, the current goes all the way down. It comes all the way back up. Mm-hmm. The current goes, the it's actually switching the relay on right. and off. And the power it's, is coming directly from. It's a remote switch. Think of it. Right. So it goes right is. from your battery yep. to the relay out to the headlights right. with nothing in between. And then the headlight and your, and you can run super great headlight bulbs. You can. Do you know what happens when you don't install a relay? So I had some aftermarket driving lights that I put on an old Mitsubishi Montero in high school. Okay. They were sweet. They were super bright halogen. Did you have them hooked right up to the headlights? Just right up to a switch <laughs> on the dash. Aftermarket switch. Okay. With not big enough wiring, not relayed. And I fire them up. I was like, this is sweet. Look at this. And all of a sudden, I see smoke coming from out under the hood. And my wiring was just literally It fried. just melted the, the, melted the coating it. on yep. it. Yeah, it takes a lot of wattage and draws a lot of heat. Yes, it does. So the shorter run of wire doesn't get as hot. And you use a bigger gauge. And a bigger gauge. And yeah. a bigger gauge. So, <laughs> and that's all you need to do. You don't need to do these what, HID headlights. What are your I thoughts on LED retrofits? So, I don't like, know. I've put LED bulbs in a regular halogen housing. But they need, like, this fan. I've seen that these LED yep. lights have, like, a fan on them to keep them cool. Yeah. I guess I don't care and as you, long as you, the housing remains the same. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know anything I've about it. I've done that on the truck, except they're cheap ones, and then blew out after, like, two months. I'm sure they don't last that long. The, they, these bulbs are $6, $8 a piece. Right. For like a hella 130-watt so, bulb, you can get a relay kit for 50 bucks. I made my own relay kit. You know, heat shrunk all the wires and did all mm-hmm. the shit, just ordered the relays. But you can get a kit that just basically pigtails in, and you're done. And then you have headlights that are awesome. It doesn't change the look of your car. I can see better with my 911 headlights than I can my Tahoe or my uh, sport wagon. Just think if you had those HID retrofits. <laughs> Would it actually work better? Would know. it work that much you better? Do a comparison. Yeah, the cutoff said, is much sharper. Who, so, I don't know. That does that only affects better. other drivers. That better. doesn't affect me. Yeah. <laughs> True. Anyway, so that's. I just wanted to put that out there. Just relay your headlights. Don't and you you have to if you're going to put the higher wattage bulbs in. You absolutely must do it. Otherwise, you will also see smoke come out from under your hood. Yes, and Chris's ears if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's once, hear about this buried car. Once upon a time. In 1978, to be exact, a few young boys were playing in the backyard of their suburban California home. They were taking part in one of the favorite pastimes of kids their age, 
tromping around in the mud. Apparently, one of the boys had an amusing idea to start digging in the mud pit that they had then been tromping in. Now, whether he was trying to dig to China, as is sometimes uh, the case with children, or just wanted to see how upset he could make his mother by getting really dirty rolling around in it, we really don't know. Here's what we do know, though. After the other boys joined in and dug down in the muddy ground, they hit something strange, something metallic. We can only imagine the boys' excitement having found something in this mud pit, and they were all spurred on to uncover more of this mysterious object. As more of it was uncovered, they saw the brilliant sheen of dark, metallic green paint. One of the boys supposedly mentioned that it looked like the roof of a car. Now, this next part... Do we know how old these boys are? Uh, I said around eight years old. Okay, so they're around eight. That, yeah, maybe younger. That would be exciting, because when... when it would be so exciting! So... Here's this is the next part that eludes me. Okay, I'm gonna stop your your commentary. Imagine you and I are eight years old playing in our backyard and discover what we thought was a car buried there. What would you do? I would say finders keepers. Right. <laughs> and you'd finders keepers, right. losers weepers. Right. That's, and you'd like keep digging and get your new car out of the ground. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, these boys did not do that. Apparently, they ran out to the street corner and flagged down a passing squad car. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> The first thing I would do is be like, wow, I just found my own car in my own yard. Right. Finders keepers. Yeah. I mean, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Right. right? So, okay. So they found a squad car, and Priscilla Painton was a staff reporter for the Los Angeles Times and recorded what happened next. With a backhoe and a small team of men with shovels, detectives Joe Sabas and Lenny Carroll uncovered a dark, Metallic green 1974 Ferrari Dino 246 GTS. Let's first give props to the backhoe operator. Right? <laughs> to distract a car and not totally fuck it up and ruin the car by doing it. I mean, that's that's pretty good. I'm imagining guys with little trowels in there, like, extracting right. the dirt. Like an excavation site of, like, yeah. some dinosaur fossils. Yeah, the guy with a little brush. Like, right. Sh -sh -sh -sh. So... <laughs> Let's pause for a little history lesson right now and talk about what the Dino is. Ferrari's Dino mark was used from 1968 to 1976 to market a lower-priced, affordable sports car capable of taking on their prime competitor at the time, the Porsche 911. So Enzo Ferrari didn't want to diminish his exclusive brand with a cheaper car. After all, Ferrari's expensive V12s were superior to the lowly 911 in both performance and price. So the Dino was created. The name Dino actually honors Enzo Ferrari's late son, Alfred Dino Ferrari, who was credited... So why didn't they put the, the, the Ferrari logo on the car? I could never figure that out. Because why does it's it not say supposed Dino? to be a Ferrari. It's, it's supposed, supposed to be a Dino. You know what? That says a lot about what they actually thought about Porsche. I know. They're if they, like, if this they, is lesser. If they wouldn't make a car to compete with Porsche and call it a Ferrari, they actually had to be like, hmm, we need to make a crappier car. Right. To well, compete. that's like I mean, Enzo that's, was uh, that Enzo says a lot highly of himself. In yes, his he did. Yes. So uh, he named it after Dino, his son, who uh, he died at some point in his life. I didn't go into Dino's history, but uh, Dino actually was credited with designing the V6 engine that this car uses. So that's fitting. Uh, along with engineer Vittorio Giano, Dino persuaded his father to produce a line of racing cars in the 1950s with V6 and V8 engines, and those were also called the Dinos. So, weren't these things like 30 grand or 25 grand? Yeah, they like were not expensive 10 at the years time. ago. No, like 10 years ago, they were cheap, weren't they? Oh, uh, relatively. I don't know if they were ever that cheap. I think they were pretty cheap. And we didn't buy them. We didn't buy them. Just, just like we didn't else. buy, yeah, all the other things that 
got crazy in value. So the 1974 Dino 246 GTS that was being unearthed used Ferrari's racing nomenclature to signify it's a 2.4 liter six-cylinder engine, hence in the 246, 246. So that's that actually is still used in like the 308 is a three liter eight cylinder. Okay. Right. And the 348, the new one, is a 3.4 liter eight cylinder. I did, actually did not know that. Yes. That's Okay. Um, I always thought they were just pulling numbers out of there. Right. Well, no. I was like, these numbers must mean something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So the first two are the uh, displacement, displacement and then the cylinder and count. And the cylinder count. So like the 612 Scaglietti is a six cylinder 12 cylinder. Wait a second. Six liter 12 cylinder. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes. That would have been a very exotic engine. <laughs> it's a six cylinder 12 cylinder. Oh, Each man. cylinder has 12 extra cylinders. All right. So... My cylinder's got cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, like, what's that meme from that Pimp My Ride show? I heard you like cylinders. So I got you some more cylinders. <laughs> I like it. Exhibit. Exhibit reference. Okay. So, um, yeah, this was the 246 model. It was also the GTS. The GTS designation identified this car as a Targa model with the removable roof panel as opposed to the GT Coupe models, which just was basically the exact same look, but just didn't have the removable panel. Um, this particular model was actually quite rare, having been equipped with the optional Campagnola wheels. And no, this is the car on the ground. Yes. Okay. Uh, it had the Campagnola wheels and Daytona seats, part of a California-only special package. We can call those wheels just campies. It's way easier than saying Campagnola. Campagnolo. Just say Campagnolo. Just say Campy. Campagnolo. No, nope, oh. just Campies. That's what they're called. I'm not going to reference them again, so that's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did find later, I didn't take notes on this, but they called this California-only package, like all the Ferrari guys on the forums call this the uh, the flares and chairs package. What? Because for the California-only model, they put extended wheel flares, which are not like molded in flares it's like you have your fender and there's like a little thing that comes out to the side like garden edging kind of but it is steel and it's all painted okay so gutter (laughs) it's a little gutter yeah right it's a gutter so that's the flares and chairs were these special daytona now i thought in my head i had imagined that this car had been discovered in italy no. But it's discovered in California. This is in Which LA. makes it even stranger that the kids just ran out and got the cops. Right. I know. Okay. So Seems like something a little Catholic boy would do just to try and... They were good Catholic boys. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We'll, well go and with I'm that. going with Italy. I mean, everybody's a good Catholic boy when you're a little boy. No. I'm just saying in California. Papa, papa. Exactly. A Ferrari. A Ferrari. Exactly. Papa. It makes a lot more sense there. But in California... Get the Campanieri. No, 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 no. Okay. Campies. No, that was talking about their police force. Oh, Okay. The Carabinari. (laughs) That's their police force. Okay. (laughs) So back to the story. The detective eased himself down into the freshly dug trench. The guy who had been driving the skip loader, which is the backhoe. They called it a skip loader in the story. Instead of... Does that mean anything to you? Skip loader. It's a backhoe. Yeah, it sounds familiar, but who knows? Okay. So that guy was also hovering nearby. A few helpers leaned on their shovels, waiting for the detective to finish his work. After all, they were treating this as a crime scene. His first order of business was to check the car for corpses. Yeah, I would think that would be... That kind of yeah. just, yeah, first on your list. Drive the drive it all the way from Vegas, probably. Yeah, just <laughs> bury dump, it. dump it in the ground. Uh, but no corpses were found. Neither were there any drugs or any other signs of hidden evidence. So this car was a mystery. Why bury it? The car was covered in plastic sheets and had towels stuffed into its intakes to keep worms out as well. <laughs> 
In her article, Peyton, that reporter from the LA Times, wrote the car appeared to be in, quote, surprisingly good condition and estimated it's worth around $18,000 or around 70 grand here's the, here's in the today's money. You can't, things won't rust without being exposed to the air, right? Well, there's some, it's, it's oxygen and there's some oxygen in soil. Yeah, but not as much as the air around right. us. So I'll if the get thing is, to, okay, I'll get to this, but you're, you're correct. You have the right line of thinking here. All right. So um, anyways, Peyton, who like stumbled across this and wrote about it in an article was like, yeah, it's worth like 18 grand, which is 70 grand in today's money. Like, oh, it's in great condition. So invest. What do you call that? You call it barn find. What do you call this? Yeah, a ground find. Grave find. Grave find. (laughs) Investigators further dug into the provenance of the Dino. Do you get it, Chris? They dug into it. I get it. They dug into it. That's That's a pun. Yeah, I've got one of those for you later. We'll see if you, <laughs> see if you pick up on it. <laughs> so they found the car was originally, originally ordered by Modern Classic Motors in Reno, Nevada. Then was shipped as one of 10 model allotments to Griswold Motors in San Francisco. I can only hope that Clark Griswold owned a Griswold <laughs> Motors. What is he from? National Lampoons? Yeah, the Christmas Vacation. Well, I doubt vacation. he owned a Ferrari. He's more of a, a station wagon kind of guy. What was the name of that station wagon? It was the Grand something or... I had a name for that. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, the car remained in the showroom on Market Street only two weeks before being purchased and shipped by truck another 400 miles south to L.A. The buyer was yet another Ferrari dealer, of which I had to look this up. There was 46 in the States at this time. 46 in the Ferrari States. dealers. Wow. Yeah. Which there can't seemed... possibly be that many anymore. I eh. Keep going. I'll find out. Okay. Um, and th- so this dealer was Hollywood Sports Cars, and this was like a well-renowned like, this is where all the movie stars went and bought their sports cars was from Hollywood sports cars. So then later in that October, for a price of $22,500, the Dino was purchased by a plumber as a birthday present for his wife. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> that right. is the correct response. <laughs> he must have been a very successful plumber, I guess. The wife drove it for a total of 501 miles. Then, on December 7th, the evening of their wedding anniversary, the wife and husband visited the Brown Derby restaurant on Wilshire Boulevard. But the plumber was a bit skeptical, handing the keys over to the greasy-faced teenager manning the valet station that evening. So, he did the cautious thing, turned it around, and parked the Dino down on Wilshire Boulevard himself. The couple enjoyed what we can only assume was a lovely dinner celebrating their anniversary and walked back to their car. However, what they found was how an can empty a plumber afford this car? Space. I still want to know how this plumber. I know. Can I don't know. That's all they said is some plumber. And then the, miraculously, the car disappears. Uh huh. Sure. They came back to the parking spot where the car left the car. Oh, Thelma, the car's gone. Good thing I had insurance on it. Chris, <laughs> are you alluding to where this story's going? I'm just saying. Uh. So. It was uh, so we got the kudos for giving the car to the wife. Oh, I yeah. bought you a Ferrari for sure. So right? she's happy. She's putting out super pumped. The car is gone. Well, we, here's he did we, obviously didn't pay. Maybe he did pay cash for it. Maybe he paid cash for the car. If you take a loan out on the car <laughs> and then the car disappears, you're not getting any money back to yourself. Even if you've got the elusive gap coverage, right? You're not getting any of that money back. You have to pay cash for the car, insure it, and then pay some sleazy, greasy guy to steal it. Anyway, go ahead. I didn't tell you any of this, Chris. No, I, no. that is not what happened here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's have it. <laughs> Keep, I'm just surmising. <laughs> okay. So they walked back to an empty parking spot where the car was carefully left there. And now we know it. Next, we see the car. It's underground. 
So when our intrepid reporter Priscilla Payton mentioned the car had been lifted out in, quote, surprisingly good condition, the L.A. Times article inadvertently set off a frenzy and the switchboard at the Farmer Insurance Company where the car was insured and hence had to take back and pay off the car. Their entire like phone lines were just lit up with these guys saying, hey, I want to buy this car off of you. Right. So since the car was no longer... Because they own the car. The insurance well, company should so own it. So since the car was no longer part of a criminal investigation, it was handed over to the owner's insurance company. Right, because okay. they paid out on it. Exactly. Insurance investigator Tom Underwood decided it might be prudent and appropriate to take a look and see if the Dino's condition matched what this reporter said. It didn't. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so the Dino came with 21 layers of paint from the factory. What? 14 primer and seven top coats. Is that because of their bodywork was so bad <laughs> at Ferrari that they had to like... I don't know. But holy I'm cow. sure they marketed this, and that's the only reason we know this today is probably like, oh, 21 layers That's of like paint. 30 pounds of paint. It has to be like quite thick. Yeah. Um, it's like a jawbreaker as you sand it down. Yeah, right. Regardless, all of these layers of paint were freckled with white pox. Rust had eaten cancerous holes in the Pininfarina body and then spread everywhere, including inside the elegant leather interior. Apparently, the dumb thieves brilliantly stuffed towels between the windows, so they were trying to seal everything really well. And that just held the moisture in. No, they stuffed the towels really perfectly in between the weather stripping and then forgot to roll up the windows again. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) So corrosion had done its worst to damage the aluminum wheels and camshaft covers, right? So everything corroded this aluminum, rusty as all the steel. Both twin exhausts were, quote, plugged solid with mud. Looked like concrete in there. The mauling of that sorry Dino had absorbed being dragged out the hole must have been horrible, too, because the hood of the engine compartment was partially crushed. There were terrific scratch marks and grouches across the roof. Okay, never and mind. And the windshield was smashed. <laughs> never yeah, mind. Yeah, remember when you were like, oh, that backhoe operator. <laughs> lots of, lots no. of finesse there. No. no, I think he pretty much just scraped it and pulled it out. So, honestly, though. Does it, here's the question. Did the engine turn over by hand? We'll get there. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Honestly, though, this only made the insurance investigation exceedingly easy for Tom as he closed the case immediately, writing the car off as a total loss and giving the guy a check. Quote, any idea that somebody outside of the Ferrari factory itself could restore the Dino to anything approaching its original state seemed. Who did he give a check to? Well, it went to the owner, right? He's paying out the on the insurance policy. Well, he should have been paid out immediately, right? I mean, it, you don't wait till if someone steals your car, you get paid out then like. You file a police report, and then they wait a little bit, and then they pay you. Yeah, but if they recover recover the car then, I suppose then the insurance company is the one. They own the car then. You're right. I don't think anybody paid a checkout to anybody, right? Well, probably right away, like you said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But regardless, this guy was like, well, I wonder what the car does look like. Yeah. Not great. Not great. Not great. Um Restore the unit. Yeah, okay. So uh, the insurance company was receiving so many calls at this time because people think the car is in great condition and now the insurance company has it, that the company officials feared a public relations crisis. So they're getting all these calls after the word's out that the car is in immaculate condition and now they have to tell everyone that it's Just kidding. a piece of crap. It's so geez. they're worried this is going to be bad PR for that company. So Why? Why would it be bad PR for I them? I didn't quite understand that because they weren't the ones that said it's in good condition. This came out of this random female reporters well, mouth. They're, maybe they're just paranoid public they relations people right so tom underwood the insurance underwriter had an idea 
he'd put the car on publicly display and make it a publicity stunt. Farmer's Insurance Company trucked the said Dino to a private warehouse in Pasadena, where it remained on view for public for two weeks. The company even invited viewers to submit sealed bids in a, in a bin next to it. Oh, that's cool. I right? like that. Except what was the winning bid? The plan backfired. Oh, no. So somebody, oh, come on. So somebody got mad. Someone's butt hurt about something. Somebody's upset. Some Ferrari guy's like, what are you treating this super cool car like this for? And what's the deal here? What's quote. After two weeks of sordid pawing, she was returned to farmers, missing almost everything not bolted down, including her oil dipstick. Hardly any legitimate bids were even submitted. But come on, people. So people are just going in and, like, ripping window, like, the door Did they not have a guy there? Apparently not. I think they must have just had this warehouse open and a little thing where you can put your, your bid in. Come on. Like, there's no security guy at I all? I don't What know. did they think was going to happen? Have you ever been to the auto show where the, all the ship knobs? <laughs> the ship knobs are removed. <laughs> they're, re- they're not stolen. They're removed. No, I know. They're removed so they, so they don't get stolen. Because there's some slime bag that wants to just yank it out. And and it's always, what, are you, what are you going to do with these shift knobs? I have no idea. I go, I have a shift knob. Because <laughs> it's always the STI in the, in the Evo back in the day. Those are the ones that would be missing their shift knob. Really? Yeah, because they'd say STI in it. So some, oh, I suppose then you put it on your Preza. Yeah, Looks, right. Look, dude. Some could hold on to it while they enter a vape contest and be Ooh, inspired somehow. Yep, I like it. You can mod your vapor with your knob. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So that's really where this classic story ends. That's it. Supposedly. The, oh, okay. All right. So the, car, so the car is now stripped. Yes, it's stripped. As it turns out, Chris, almost none of what I just told you is true. <laughs> okay. So there were no eight-year-old kids digging in the mud. There was, however, a nosy reporter for the LA Times. So going back to that fateful day. L.A. County Sheriff's Detective Dennis Carroll heaved the rugs and plastic aside, wiped a smear of grime from the windshield with his hand, and peered through. He found no bodies. A sweep of the interior trunk turned up no drugs or contraband either, but a run of the plates confirmed what he suspected. The dug-up sports car was in the LAPD's stolen list. Next thing he knew, there was some pesky female reporter from the L.A. Times poking around. She wanted to know how the Sheriff Department knew this sports car was buried behind the house. Carol and his partner, Sergeant Joe Sabas, were gruff veterans of the burglary and narcotics department. So here's the question. Is the reporter the sleazeball or is the cop the sleazeball? There's the third sleazeball. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the cop, Carol, and his partner, Sergeant Joe Sabas, they were like these gruff veterans of the burglary and narcotics department that dealt with these pesky reporters before on scene. They quickly appeased her with a ready answer. Quote, some kids playing in the dirt found it. Ain't that something? So they just made it up. You see, these detectives knew it was better to make up a sensational story than to compromise a good informant. Ah, okay. The informant in question was an unnamed man who had ties to the local criminal world and also happened to be known to enjoy himself some heroin. <laughs> okay. So as such, the detectives were skeptical, but the story still warranted to be checked out. He claimed the Dino's owner had hired a couple guys to, quote, make it disappear. I bet he did. The plan was to snatch it up on the night of December 7th while the owner sipped martinis with his wife at the Brown Derby on Wilshire. I bet. That guy is clever. Then the, st- then the owner would feed the cops a fake sob story about this car that he bought for his wife and lost. Then the hired guys would chop up the Dino, fence the parts, and sink the rest somewhere off the coast. 
The owner would claim his check from insurance, slide the help there cut, and everyone would be off in the wind a few grand richer. But it didn't quite work out that way. You think a plumber would be better off trying to pull this wool over somebody's eyes with a Chevette? To be fair, to be fair, plumbers make good money. Well, yeah, they, they do. They make. They certainly do. They make good money. Pipe fitters, and they don't plumbers. have my student debt either, Chris. No, that's very, very true. So what what went wrong here? Well, the hired guys boosted the Dean Hall right. Apparently, they thought it'd be a complete shame to cut up such a beautiful car. So instead, they hatched their own side plan and basically buried it and said, all right, Bob, or whatever his name it's was, we, we got it. What's interesting, they actually torched What's, what's the time frame here between when the car was found and when it was buried? Do we know? Two years. Two years. Okay. Wow. The car took it that much. I believe much it was two years. Yep. Um, and I'll get to that. So what's interesting, though, these weird guys that stole the car, they were paid to steal the car, they took a torch to the rear deck lid and torched out the metal piece that had the name plaque of Dino GTS on it. So that was perhaps either a souvenir or proof of disposal. So maybe they showed the guy oh, this yeah, piece yeah, yeah. and said, car's gone. This is all that's left of us. Give us our cut. Right. And okay. he put a magnet on the back of it and put it on his fridge. Probably. So they then buried the whole car in someone's yard in West Athens. I, there was no mention of whose yard this actually was, if I there was any it, connection. Some say... How do you not go, man, someone's burying a car in my backyard. So here's, here's what's interesting. Some say it was an old mechanics pit that was simply filled in there. Okay. So meaning like, you know, the old oil yeah, change yeah. pits where you drive over it. And I don't know how you drive into it, then fill it in. But regardless, well, that was the, one theory. Okay. I could... Maybe. Still, you're not driving or maybe a car you're in like, that spot claiming you're digging up a septic system or like yeah digging it's a like in the movies where there's a van and the guys come out in the van and they're like hey we're here to check your cable television and they're actually <laughs> scouting out the house they're like hey we're here to we're check here out to your, your plumbing and, right oh and it's then, a plumber i bet it was him oh there you go so he came in and was like hey <laughs> this is all just this is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a i'm a plumber and i want to check out your leach field so we're gonna have to dig this up about the size of my car. <laughs> <laughs> so as we know, the owner got his insurance check, but the idiots never came back for the car, right? So they buried it thinking they're... Well, they got a cut of it and they were done. There was too I much guess, work. It was too much work to go back But at the, the time, they obviously were planning on coming back for it. Well, they what's the explanation from coming back? Yeah, so I know we checked this leach field out about two years ago. We really need to take another look at that. And uh, here's a free vacation and a timeshare. Go take a look. Yeah. So regardless, that's the true story of how the car ended up there. But that's still not quite the end of the yeah, story, Yeah, it seems like there's Chris. more here. You see, the car survived. Enter Brad Howard. All right, Brad. Brad's story comes in after Farmers Insurance sold the stripped-down car to a Los Angeles businessman named Ara Manugan. Manugian. Manugian, sure. He reportedly paid just over five grand for the thing. Brad was working on a real estate deal with this Ara Manugian and overheard him on the phone arguing with a mechanic. Are you calling, is it Nagoyan? M-A-N-O-O-G-I-A-N. It doesn't matter. You figure that one out. Um, so they seem to be talking about some old Ferrari. This is what Brad can hear the other guy on the phone. And it seemed like Manugian was fed up. So sensing this guy wanted to be rid of the thing, Howard made him an offer for the car. This Manugian guy apparently responded by saying, believe me, you do not want this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but Howard struck a deal that if Manugian could get the car running in any sense, he would then buy it from him. Right? So 
This guy, wanting to get rid of it now, hired another local mechanic, this time Ferrari expert Giuseppe Capagnola, to sort out the engine. To be fair, it's a pretty simple ignition fuel system. You should be able to get it to run. You would think so. So although the car had been buried, dragged out of the ground, and picked over, it did have one good thing going for it. The same drought that led to the water conservation laws that spawned skaters taken to emptied swimming pools, giving rise to skating as we know it, meant that the soil had been mostly dry through the years of 76, 77, and most of 78. Therefore, the car had actually been preserved fairly well, at least mechanically. So Ferrari whiz Giuseppe finally managed to get the car to run, and Brad Howard had his car. Over the next few years, he had the car restored by various people and immediately affixed custom vanity license plates to it that read, Doug Up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you aren't, didn't say it said Dino. No, Doug Up is much more clever. Yes. So Brad Howard still owns the car to this day and enjoys telling its story. It's restored. You can see it at car shows, and you can see it in Southern California doing just as Ferrari intended, carving through canyons and chasing down Porsches. I love it. I uh, I wonder what the... I need to see a picture of what the thing looked like. I'm sure you'll show me in a little bit. I will. Uh, but I, And I'd like to see what it looks like now, I think would be... Would be ideal. Great job, Jake. I, that was a Thank good story. Was yeah, a- it was it was a fun story to research because I basically discovered it just as I told it. First, finding out the kind of old tale of the car, then digging up what really happened and the true scenario. So it was like very it. cool. I like it. So uh, we're gonna get into some news, but we're gonna take a little break. We'll be right back. That was uh, it was a great story, Jake. I really appreciate that. And I knew I knew about this car. I think everybody knows. Right. You may have even c- seen like photos of it. And I think we'll use this classic photo as the image for the episode. Right. Of it being like literally unearthed. But yeah, all the backstory and the fact that car's still around today. I thought it was really kind of cool. Right. So. I like that the cops completely made up the story to cover for their, in, their informant. <laughs> their informant, the heroin yes. addict. That's pretty good. So you have some news you found for I us. I do. I do. So it's uh, this is almost, is there any good news in here? Well, I want to talk about yeah, there's this some good first news one here. here. Sure, go ahead. So you wrote Rest in Peace BMW 3 Series Wagon. And so this, is, this is sad. Right. right. So the three series always used to be available as a wagon. It was kind of cool. But apparently with the new G20, they're calling it uh, generation. G- G20, that's what we're on now. We're not on E anything anymore. We're well, on and G. There wasn't there an F too? I don't know. I don't get their naming chassis. Why naming. isn't it just, it should have just been like E30, E31, E32, right. that would have made E33, a lot of sense. instead of E34, E38, E36, everything's jumping all over the place. None of actually any manufacturer chassis codes make any sense, right? Like, 901, 996, 997, but 0993 was before that, and then now we're on 992.2? Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, so with this next generation... I something with their parts catalog system. It has to be, yeah. There's something more to it, but it doesn't make sense as a consumer. Um, A BMW spokesperson has confirmed to CarBuzz that BMW of North America has no plans to bring the next generation 3 series sport wagon to the U.S. market. Sad. Sad. Because wagons are cool, but they're not. A, it's not a crossover. There's right. no reason to sell it anymore. Honestly, in terms of practicality and usefulness, a crossover is a better vehicle. Can, so the old it doesn't look as good no. and it doesn't perform as well. Right. But in terms of performing well for your family and your your six little soccer nuggets, it's perfect. <laughs> There's your term you coined again. <laughs> so it used to be that you could get the four by eight sheet of plywood in your wagon, right? And that was really cool because it's a car that can also haul like a pickup. Can you get a big sheet of plywood in your crossover? Probably not. Probably not. But here's the other thing. Who's doing any maintenance on their home by themselves anymore? 
Yeah, nobody. Very little. Very little. So here's the even sadder, in my opinion. The three series in general, no manual will be offered soon. And we can read the story, but the bigger thing I had was, didn't we just read a story about this, Chris, a few weeks ago, maybe months ago, that BMW will be sticking to manuals? That's in the M series, though. I think oh. the M series is what it's, it's going to be. So the manual is going to be gone in the three series for the for the pedestrian, the plebeian of, the plebeians but of like society. But like the M3 will still have yeah, a manual. Yeah, that's what I think is going on. Okay, that makes um, sense. It says, uh, however they say, we would not be able to speculate on what transmission engine options may be planned for the future. We can say that the Sport Automatic d- delivers the absolute best performance possible mm-hmm. from the new 330i and M340i sedans. Um, super troubling. You know, I mean, this is... Well, it, I remember this because it was in response to Audi saying, oh, we're not going to sell any manuals anymore. And BMW, I think, had a quote that said, well, we're going to stick to it and keep going. I guess not in their normal cars. On many of these so-called sports sedans, manual gearboxes are becoming an increasing rarity. The Cadillac ATS doesn't have it. It only has it on a four-cylinder. And V-Trim, the Jaguar XE, is a four-banger duty. It's like, so they're, it's almost like uh, it's it's seen as poverty spec. (laughs) (laughs) Which in in general Uh, it, it is. In general, I think, it it's, is. I think it's more consumer demand. I think we are definitely in the minority that we still want a manual gearbox in one of these cars. I think the Miata will always see a manual in, right? Because that's a lower level fun car or like a, a Toyota FT86 or the Subaru BRZ. Those cars will always have a manual because it's lower level like sports car. Right. Whereas this is like your M3 or 3 Series. This is like, okay, this is so your So what you're saying is it's poverty spec cars have the manual transmission. Sure. I guess I'm saying that. <laughs> Fine. Um, so the, the, this transmission is uh, GPS controlled. What does that mean? It, it's I I don't know. <laughs> I don't like it. It says anyway. The Sport Automatic, which is GPS controlled, like the Trans in the Seven Series, <laughs> apparently gets a wider wider gear spread than before. It's more efficient and doesn't vibrate as much. Plus, the shorter low gear ratios apparently improve acceleration. Acceleration and the new transmission promises shorter shift times. Great. So does that mean like when you're on the freeway, it, it won't downshift as quickly or who cares? Honestly, it's so uninspiring and boring, but nobody cares. You know what nobody else is cares. uninspiring and boring? What's that? Porsche's news. Oh, yeah. So last week we talked about this a little bit um, and I talked about like what's going to happen. And people, some people are like there's not going to be any electric 992, hybrid 92. It's not going to happen. Right. So there was Porsche kind of a 911 model. Their new 911 model, you're saying... Yeah, so it's... Although the 992 series... This is from Autocar. Um, although the 992 series 911 was, will initially be offered with an updated version of the old model's twin turbocharged 3-liter flat-six engine delivering 444 horsepower in both rear-wheel drive and four-wheel drive models, um, they've confirmed that the development is progressing in a hybridized version that will provide the iconic sports car with the capability to run exclusively on electric power for limited distances. Quote... We've taken the experience we gained from the hybrid version of the Cayenne and the Panamera. Why do they have to have such stupid names all for all their cars? As well as the, the 918 Spider, and applied it to the new 911. Acklintier. Acklintier? He's the Porsche guy. Porsche guy said. In the future, this will allow us to offer it with a pre pure electric capability. So it's... No! <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it, man. I mean, I don't, this... They have the Taycan or Taycan, whatever, the Mission E, right? Can yeah. we still call it the Mission E? I'm they not have sure. that car that's going to be pure electric, and it's going to like mop the floor with all the others that's fine leave the 911 alone 
The key among the changes enabling this is a brand new gear set similar to that already used by the second generation Panamera and Cayenne. Uh, blah, blah, blah. This guy's set to retire in 2018, so he's just setting the place on fire before he leaves. <laughs> um, the new gear set is almost 100 millimeters shorter than the old one, providing space in the rear of the gearbox to house the motor, the electric motor. Right. Um, it's basically like the flywheel is the motor for these hybrids. Yeah, they won't say anything about the specs or what's going on, but, I mean, this is... Applying the power and the torque developed by the Panamera's hyperelect motor to the new 911 Crest would provide it with a theoretical system output of 578 horsepower and 686 pound feet of torque. Um, I, but pound I feet or foot pounds? Pound feet. It's pound feet, not foot pounds, uh, which I always used to say. This model had claimed 0 to 60 time in 2.9 seconds and a top speed of 205. But I don't care. Well, I was just <laughs> going to say it's irrelevant. It's, it's the. You're not going to be stoplight racing going under the quarter mile track with your new hybrid 911. Sure you are, but it's not going to be awesome. It's, it's the same. It's like beating a dead horse on this. There's no one is ever going to look at this car and be like, God, Jesus, I remember when I used to own one of those someday. 30 years later, they're like ready to buy one so they can experience that same thing with their kids. It's just not happening. Of course, it will be better. Of course, it's going to perform better. When CDs came out, they're theoretically better than vinyl because they don't get dirty. They sound better, but right. there's less dynamic range. There's it, but it's easier. You just put it in and hit play. With records, right. you have to put it on, put the needle on. Sometimes there's you know some of the crappier turntables had automatic automatic everything, but the good ones didn't. Mm-hmm. You put the thing on the plinth yourself and listen to the music, and it was a ritual and it was a thing. This is just get in, go fast. There's nothing to it. There's no, there's no soul. Well, what's odd to me, consumers are obviously demanding this. That's the only reason they would build it, to stay up with what consumers demand. So I don't understand who's like, well, I would have bought the 911, but it's not a hybrid, honey. I'd, is that really what the market is asking for? Well, in, in Europe, I think it's like 50% of the like Panameras and Cayenne stuff that are sold are hybrids, like half. Is that just because of fuel prices and tax incentives and everything else? I think that gas is expensive. I mean, look what France tried to do to try and encourage this kind of thing is they raised the gas tax 25 cents a gallon, and it caused riots. So, I yeah. mean, it's it's not just consumer demand. It's forced obscurity on some of these petrol cars. They're, they're definitely after getting rid of them. And the corporations are like, well, this is what's happening. So, so better here get we go. Board. And of course, it, this thing's going to be amazing. It's going to be an amazing car. Anything Porsche does, and this is super fanboy, of course, but it's going to be an well, amazing it, car. It'll be done in a quality manner, right? I mean, that's an objective way of saying it. Right. It will be an amazing car. It yeah. just doesn't, it offers no excitement for me whatsoever. It's like, look at it this way. It's this is maybe a reach, but sex robots are coming, right? <laughs> Are they coming, they Chris? Are, are they? Are they? They are, right? You've seen the you've seen the news stories out about. There's sure. these robots yep. out there that they'll talk to you. <laughs> they'll, they'll talk. To you. Are they going to talk dirty to you? They, they do, and they will fillet you. They'll do uh-huh. anything you want to do, uh-huh. and at some point in the near future, they will be able to do it better than an actual woman. Interesting. But it's going to still be better to have an actual woman there just because it's... Well, hopefully. Well, hopefully, right? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> just going to be better. Maybe that's our new population control uh, strategy, right? I don't know. I just think that the old ways are... All to, all advancement is not better just because it's the performance went up. That's not the barometer for every single thing. And that's what everybody's chasing right now is we're going to make the fastest hypercar. We're going to make right. more kilowatts per hour. It's just everything is just this rush to make the most power in the longest distance and 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 it's just i can't 
I can barely even keep track of the the zero to sixty times or two point whatever. I know. I've given up. And it just doesn't matter to me anymore. It's too good. Like look at this tube stereo stuff I have over here. Right. Transistors theoretically way better. But for me, the ritual of having these and the cultural uh, being able to build them myself and work on them myself, all that stuff adds up to a better experience for me. I'm going to play devil's advocate, as I often do. I think it's also that not everyone has those. But they could. Yeah, I guess. You could. That, the, the amps that I have are two mono block amplifiers. There's two separate amplifiers. Right. You could buy the kits are about seven to $800 each. So you're about $1,500 into a really nice stereo by the time you build it. There's lots of people out there that spend $1,000 on a stereo. I mean, that's not terribly uncommon. So it's not like you couldn't have this. They're not that expensive. I guess my point is I don't think you would, like, yearn after it quite as much or as romantically if this was in every single person, if this was the norm. Well, if it was the norm, I would still have it because it's the norm. <laughs> I don't know if you would. That's what I'm saying. What would I have instead? I'd have whatever the I anti is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you may be. You may be I'm, right. There's, yeah. there's part of. Uh, there's something very special about about holding onto a belief that is disappearing and being able. It's almost like like trying to keep a fire alive, right? When you go camping, you know, you got to keep the fire alive. It shows sure. out you're in trouble. You know, it's almost like trying to keep that fire alive for to stay warm and survive. I feel like that's almost where we're at with some of these classic cars is this just and i'm not the only one that feels this way there's no. lots of people and lots of culture out there that are trying to keep the keep the fire going but right you know with every step we go this way it's just sucks but here's the other side of this what when we had ray on porsche is doing porsche classic stuff all right. over the country so they're trying to still cultivate that and i think the reason that they have to do that is that's their base well, right. that, uh, there's if a lot of people like you who are like, screw what Porsche is doing now. I want my, you know, my 930 or whatever. And I love the idea of recommissioning these cars like we talked about with that career. Well, GT. What Porsche does, it's almost like propaganda, right? They're like, yes, we still appreciate our heritage, but we're still doing this other thing. Yeah. It's almost like they're strangling you and like hugging you at the same time. Well, it's, they're hedging their bets. Of course they are. They have to. Yeah. They don't have a choice. All right. Well, how about something new that isn't uh, totally gloom and doom? Oh, yeah. So this is, um, so what is it? Aston Martin's coming out with the Valkyrie. Right. Right. Which I thought they had the Valkyrie already. I, maybe? I don't know. So the specs are in on this thing. It's going to be, it's a 11,100 RPM V12. (laughs) So this is the opposite. I'm glad they're doing something like this. Well, it's still hybrid, though. Is it really? Yes. I didn't know that. What's crazy about it is it's naturally aspirated. But it still sounds amazing. Listen to this, Chris. This is basically what I want F1 to sound like now. That sounds fantastic. And that's what really got me. I didn't even read the article. I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds really, really yeah, good. Yeah, no, it's still uh, got a hybrid after the motor. But So what does it make without – oh, so it's seven – okay. Yeah. No, that's 750 horse. That's Ferraris. Uh, it, how many horsepower is it without the hybrid motor? 750 horsepower V12. That's what I'm reading as Fine. Well. Fine. <laughs> I'll take it as a 750 horsepower <laughs> V12. Um, it's three – what is it? $3 million? Yeah, three point three million dollars. Okay. Essen's six point five liter fire breather developed with Cosworth produces one hundred and fifty three point eight horsepower per liter, reaching a thousand horsepower at ten thousand five hundred RPM with a fuel cutoff screaming uh, at eleven thousand one hundred horsepower will be slightly less than the figure noted in that tweet from Cosworth some months back, but will still exceed that of the LaFerrari 
763 horsepower V12. Peak torque of the high revving monster, a fully stressed element of the Valkyrie's design chassis, is 546 pound-feet of torque at 7,000 RPM. So there's two things I love about this. One is they could have just cut it off at 11,000 RPM, but the 11,100 is so you can actually see it on the tack, right? Because like if, it, cut, if it cuts at 11, you're never going to actually see the tack well, get to 11. It's always funny because you see like the guys with the Marshall amps and the stereos that go up to 11. Because right. everything yeah, else yeah, only yeah. goes up to 10. Right. So this goes up to no, 11. And yeah, they have it up to 11. But now it, one more tick passed and you can just get there. The so, other thing on the video teaser that you didn't see, but that's what the audio is from. Th- is there anything cooler than headers glowing? Sure, lots of things, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Throw me a bone here. Chris. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, good. No, yeah. I, the, the headers are glowing. So I video. wanted it's to sweet. explain how okay. this is different than what Porsche is doing with the 911, which is ruining it. Okay. okay so Porsche is ruining the 911. <laughs> it will cease for me. It will cease to be a 911 once it has a hybrid drivetrain. I won't. It won't. It will not excite me. Right now, twin turbo. It'll still be a six cylinder. It'll still be horizontally posed in the rear. I think when it goes full electric, then it kind of jumps the shark. Yeah, well, it's it's losing me at hybrid. This is different because this is basically a whole new model coming out. That's why the Mission E and the Tacon stuff doesn't bother me. Right. Because it's agree. a whole new I model. Agree. It's a whole new project. This is like a whole new Valkyrie project. They're doing this thing. It's it's cool. But they're not like ruining the Vanquish yet. You know what yeah. I mean? So we'll yeah. see. No, I agree. They should keep the Tacon and use that as like their platform that's going to be crazy and keep the 911 kind of right in its wheelhouse where it is. So you remember that Uber truck that ran over that bicycle person? Bicycle cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> I like bicycle person better, actually. It sounds, it sounds politically correct. As hey, if bicycle person. As if cyclist has some sort of gender assignment right. to it. You yeah. say bicycle person. Um, so... Uh, Uber plans to resume self uh, testing self driving cars uh, now. So right. they they had so a moratorium when that happened, on happened, Yeah, they basically said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Sorry, guys, we're gonna maybe stop doing this for a while." And now they're back at it. Right. So do we know what's changed? Or do they have any safety systems in place? Uh, I don't know. According to the report, Robbie Miller, a manager in the self-driving car program's testing operations group, sent an email to multiple Uber executives and lawyers warning the test cars were routinely in accidents resulting in damage. Now, this is prior to the to the the, uh, the bicycle person getting run over. Um <laughs> Right. This is usually the result of poor behavior of the operator of the AV technology. Miller allegedly referenced an incident in Pittsburgh in which a prototype autonomous car swerved off the road and onto a sidewalk. Oops. Miller's email said the incident was essentially ignored for days until Miller raised it to the attention of the other managers. <laughs> the email said it took two weeks to investigate the incident that took uh, took place toward the end of 2017 in which an Uber test car nearly collided with another vehicle. This is not how we should be operating, Miller wrote. In an email, he reportedly suggested ways to improve safety, including reducing the size of the test feet, blah, 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 blah. Um, we're focused on safety, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Arizona crash is the first known fatality involving a self-driving car. Now, here's here's what's crazy. The, um, the police subs- subbsequently found that the human backup driver was streaming television on her phone. Of course she was. I was just going to talk about this, Chris. So, okay, you're tasked with maybe eight hours at a time sitting in this car. It's going to drive itself, but you need to be in there in case something happens. You are losing your mind. What? Yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and stare and have your hands ready to grab the wheel every single second? It's not no. possible. It's you're going to be taking a nap. You're going to be picking your nose. It's not you're a reasonable be, expectation. Yeah. So we'll see where things go. They just started re I just wanted to kind of touch base on that as a recap of of something we've already talked so about. So get ready for the next Uber yeah, fatality. Um, 
let's see here. That cars are expected to operate on a one-mile loop between Uber offices in the city with a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. These are the test cars. Okay. However, Uber has not yet received permission from Pennsylvania authorities for this limited testing program. Oh, that's right. It was Pennsylvania because it was the only state that allowed them to do it right. with so, an operator, not a driver. Or something right. So like we'll that. see. We'll see what happens and where things end up going with them. So yeah, interesting. Yes. So now they're using a, a Range Rover. Oh. Is that what I'm reading? The self-driving Range Rover Sport is able to change lanes, merge into traffic, and exit at junctions at speeds of up to 40 miles per hour. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah, great. Anyway, so that's that's just an update on. That. Yeah, and I I really understand the way over here. People suck at driving in general. Right. So I want everyone to have autonomous driving cars, except for me. <laughs> yes. Well, here's was my solution <laughs> to this: is why not have like a like a graduated testing where you apply different licenses to people that allow them to drive in different areas and do different things. Sure. Like if you're, if you suck at driving, you're limited to 65 miles per hour. If yep. you don't suck at driving, maybe you're limited to 85 miles per hour. So you could have these different, like, or maybe there's a blue lane. The left lane is the blue lane and you're a blue lane licensed driver that allows you to, maybe that would encourage education. You know, it encourage yeah. people to, to learn more about driving. Hey, I want to be able to drive in that blue lane, so I'm going to take a little bit of extra driver education, or I'm going to take these classes so I can get that certification. Okay, how about this then? We all took driver training, and we all were probably quite cautious right when we got our license that first month or so, right? No. No. <laughs> well, do you, I got a do 77 you, and a 35 immediately. Yeah, I also lost my license for six months <laughs> when I was 16. But my point is... Yes, you could have this graduated system, but people are still going to be texting when they're driving, even if you have your, quote, blue license, whatever you're going to call it. I don't right. think that's a solution. So why don't we just have it where when the cars it's it's in when you're in motion, you are not able to text and drive. The phones don't work. I mean, that's kind of how we have our phone set up where it says I'm yeah, driving that's my right choice. now. That's yes, my it choice. is. And I are still, you saying you like regulation, Chris, just, and we need to manage the populace to the lowest common denominator? No, I think that the, the penalties for doing it must be much higher. That's yeah. what I think it must. It must be much, much higher because I'll text and drive, but it's usually at a stoplight. So I'm usually the guy that's right. like beep. I'm like, oh, shit. And I, and I go, but yeah. I, I don't do it while I'm driving. I just I really don't. No. And you shouldn't ever. No, that means you. Whoever's texting and driving while they're listening to this podcast. Yeah, right you now, put it down. <laughs> um, so we'll see where all that ends up. All right. Um, so Volkswagen is working on the ID Lounge. So the ID is their new ID. Is this a hip new like uh, bar downtown LA, the, the ID Lounge? The ID Lounge is the fancy EV, EV crossover for 2019. Okay. Um, so as you explained previously, the ID line is basically What does their, that stand for? I don't know. Identification demographic. <laughs> that would be IDD. IDD, yeah. No, I don't know. It's it's basically their electric. Yeah, so the ID line. Lounge will be a 7C crossover with dimensions comparable to a Touareg, basically. Um, it's going to be a c competitor with Tesla Model X, blah, blah, blah. It's going to drive a 300 miles, 373 mile range, blah, blah, blah. But here's what I thought was funny is it's based on the ID Buzz chassis. Okay. Which is the little micro bus. Yeah. So they're the little quote-unquote cheap micro bus did you did you see it it's called the buzz yeah. you know why it's called the buzz why bus buzz uh, yeah, okay. i think yeah, that's yes yeah that's what it is, is that your theory or that the idea well it's the volkswagen buzz volkswagen bus volkswagen buzz sure. it's got to be because they all these creative stupid names um <laughs> okay so we'll we'll see where that ends up going there's another just another so car that's being piled on the lounge are they calling it the lounge is it one of those like uh futuristic concept cars where you all like lounge across from each other I and look at each other i don't think so okay it's it's a uh... <laughs> i 
just saw this. The testing protocol in which this range would be achieved was not specified. Likely worldwide harmonized light vehicle test. That's a testing. Wow. That's a name for a, a, a testing protocol. I see the that. Worldwide harmonized light vehicle test. Anything that starts out worldwide harmonized seems like an apocalyptic movie premise. No, no. None of VW's pre- previous concept vehicles have had such a grandiose range estimate, even from the 111 kilowatt hour battery, possibly portending improvements to VW's electric powertrain technologies. It's all in the software, I think, for until they get a new battery technology. It's right. all in the software and how the batteries are, are managed. So we'll see where that thing ends up. But... Um, uh, oh, so, so there's a the the little one, the yeah, hatchback. Yeah, so the ID one. hatchback EV. So this is the first Volkswagen one that we actually have a bunch of specs on what it will be like to buy. Okay. Um, so when you go to buy one of these, the Volkswagen ID hatchback, that's like a little. It's basically what the size of what a Golf should be at this point, which is basically, yeah, which it isn't. So you can um you can choose your model, your range, the color, the packages, and then you can add services. Now I don't know what adding services means. Um, but they say it's going to be up to 550 kilometers. It's going to be a fully connected vehicle inner innovative interface. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm watching a PowerPoint presentation for Microsoft yeah, or something. Sure. Um, emission neutral, uh, which is just great. Except um, for the fact you really build them, I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to be the price. They say it's going to be the price of a modern Golf diesel. So that's twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars, something okay. like that. So you'll be able to buy one of these fancy schmancy things for, you know. 20 under $25,000. I wonder if the services it offers is like some level of autonomy. Then here's, here's the deal. If this thing comes out and it's under $25,000 and it drives 350 miles, people will buy this car. Oh yeah. They will absolutely 100% buy this car. I don't know that they're going to think about what they're doing when they buy it and the logistics and of, you know, (laughs) being able to charge it and stuff like that. But I think people are absolutely going to buy it. Yeah. We'll, we'll see where, I mean, this is probably going to be the first, the market of a cheap one, but I think this is the way it's going. I think we're going to see a lot of models coming out with a, a sub 25k small electric hatchback. Right. Um, Volkswagen. Uh, next article. Volkswagen illegally sold pre-production test cars instead of crushing them, <laughs> which seems efficient. I feel like we should be applauding them for this. Yeah, that's that's the. So basically, the story goes that when you are testing vehicles before it's basically signed off, all those vehicles in your test fleet you can't sell because they don't. They're not supposed to have VIN numbers. There's like they're just supposed to get crushed. Right. Which. I don't know. It does seem like a waste, doesn't it? Seems it seems a little bit wasteful, but the cars were, like, shitty. I, well, here's the thing. As a consumer, I wouldn't want the pre-production version, but I also am like, well, it's a shame they have to crush them. So the real risk here is that Volkswagen appears to have no documentation on what exactly is wrong with these cars. A company <laughs> spokesperson told this newspaper that some of the models just need a software update to become compliant with the production version, while others are so riddled with differences and flaws that they should be scrapped immediately. <laughs> Volkswagen says it's not aware of any crashes, injuries, or deaths related to the test cars, and it deeply regrets the deceit. Oops. So they just really... What is... Is it something in their culture that they, like... I, I don't know. It it's seems just, like a pattern. It does, and it's such a huge company. I, I don't know... I don't know what they're doing or what's going on. It would be funny if you had one of these pre-production cars and you take it to a mechanic or something of the dealership and you go under it. Oh, your your bushing needs to be replaced or some but it's just the part doesn't and exist, it, right? Or it's like they used one off of a Mark III or some other parts bin. Did he like get yeah, it on the road? Right? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's probably going to be some of that going on, but you, the person's not going to know. They probably look generally like a. Golf, oh, I'm sure they look identical, but they're just some subtle differences. Um, another sad story, and I didn't know anything about this car. I did. It's hard to call it a car, actually. So this is... It's a car. 
It's got four wheels. Does it have four or three? Well, when it, regardless, I, I saw pictures of it without the sides on. It looked like it had. It has four wheels. Okay, cool. it is a car. Cool. <laughs> so, this is a multi-million-dollar Bloodhound SSC. This is a land speed record car. So it's one of these things that looks like a rocket and it's going to go on the salt flats. Right. Um, and basically, I forget how long they had been working on this, but a they few years ran out of funding i guess and uh, so now they're, they're britain-based bloodhound it? program limited was developing a car called the bloodhound ssc in an effort to raise this, the record from 763 miles per hour set by andy green same guy that's doing this project mm-hmm. uh, 1997 to over a thousand miles per hour to achieve this bloodhound constructed its vehicle from the ground up using a eurojet ej200 turbofan two of which power the euro Eurofighter typhoon jet this right. thrust was planned to be augmented by a trio of rocket motors to assist with reaching its four-digit top speed. So it's basically a giant jet engine attached with to a car. Rocket boosters as well. Right, to get it going. Because they wouldn't fire the main one until it was already moving is kind of what I gathered. I but here's the problem. Is they needed another $27 million to finish the project. <laughs> but well, why wouldn't they just pony up? Come on. I don't know. How hard can it be to get some dudes together with money? I think the problem is they already had a lot of dudes together with a lot of money. I guess, but it's sad. Well, you can buy this thing now. It says Green told the publication that the multi-million dollar Bloodhound SSC is now on the market for $318,000. You can buy it. Oh, really? Yeah. That so. actually doesn't seem like that much if they needed $27 million to finish it. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's uh, Bloodhound financial troubles became public knowledge in October when the program went into administration, announcing that it needed, sorry, nearly $33 million more to complete its bid for the land speed record. Um, here's the thing, Yikes. though. Um, they, here, let's. Yeah, so basically one thing that they did, I think they were going to do this in South Africa or something. Okay. But they built a road for this car <laughs> that was, like, perfectly smooth. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember where I saw that, but it's it's they literally built a road for it. That's sweet. We should ship our cars down there and just... Actually, that would be really boring, but... Well, yeah, because our cars would be top speed almost immediately, and then there's probably like 25 miles more of road right. to drive the thing on. So, it's, I mean, the thing looks done. So I swear I saw like either a documentary or even like it was a short online promo video of the build of this car, and it was amazing, the technology they were putting into it and the resources. So it's, yeah, it's crazy that I guess... I find it surprising they didn't have all funding secured before getting this far. Yeah, well, they fired the motor up and everything, but they just were not able to. The guy says, once we have the funding in place, or this is a little while ago, once mm-hmm. we have the funding in place or at least visibility of that funding, we'll be off to South Africa. We're that close. This is a huge opportunity for global exposure. Nanmo, Namo firing that motor was really important and really impressive. A new attempt to go five to 600 miles. Could They were planning on doing this in 2020. Okay. And then the following year, they were going to go 1,000 miles per hour. But, I mean, I, here's the thing. I don't think anybody cares about this No, anymore. they don't. And what's even more funny, do you see the sponsors that are plastered on the side of this thing? No, what are they? So, like, Jaguar, Castrol, Edge have zero thing. Like, what does it have to do with a jet-powered rail car? Well, what do they have to do with hockey? There's, like, Liquamali has hockey stuff all over the place. It's all about being in front of the you're right. people that are going to have something I to know, do with what you're I know. It's just funny doing. to think, like, oh, well, actually, in this Pratt & Winnie jet, we used Castrol, Edge. It's like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah, well, too bad this didn't actually work. I, I, can we crowdfund? I was just going to say, can we start a, a GoFundMe? No, I want to get the 318000 to just buy it. And what are you doing with it? Oh, we'll wing it. We'll figure it out. Are you going to store it in your airplane hangar that you don't have yet? Well, <laughs> okay, I'll raise 350000 and use the extra to get an airplane hangar. There you go. There, that'll, that'll, that'll on do. that note. On that note, we're done. 
We're, that's it. We're out of here. It's been a, it's been a long day. Uh, thanks a lot, Jake, for the story earlier today. I really, yeah, really like that. Hopefully you guys appreciated that. And if you did appreciate and enjoy that, be sure to share with your friends. We really appreciate that. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be great. I actually put an event on the calendar okay. for a month from today of recording date, which I have not talked to Jake about yet. Um, but we're going to ha- be having an event where we can hopefully get everybody that's uh, around, at least locally here together in the studio. Ooh, Something that uh, sounds exciting. Yeah. So we'll talk to everybody later and uh, make sure that you vote on the Christmas uh, mic stand. Were you trying to say your like name like Chris Christmas? Chris no. Christmas? No, no, I was not. Jake Miss? Jake Miss. All right, Jake-mas. guys, we'll catch you later. Tune in next week. Goodbye.